0: your
1: property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at trafalgar square finance leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance whether it's buy to let development or bridging finance trafalgar square can help you organize your funding for your next property project exclusively to listeners of your property podcast Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to your property podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns, and with us, we've got Julian Maurice. Hi, Julian.
0: Hi, Michelle. Looking very glam today.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, for people who are just listening to the audio, you can also check us out on YouTube as well to see how glam I look. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Julian. Julian, we spoke recently and you were telling me the story about why you got into uh, design as a property investor and why you kind of made that shift, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a story I hadn't actually heard before. So why don't we just start there for people who don't know you? Why did you get into design?
0: Okay, well, that, that was, there was two things, because I was talking about why I actually got into investing and why I think design was important. But the reason why I got into design goes back further than that, um, from when I started doing property sourcing. So uh, I had worked in a, a state agency. I'd also worked as a, in lettings management. Um, and I started doing sourcing uh, probably, what was it, about 2002, so, this was when the property market was going nuts and everyone was buying buy to let properties, and people were able to get 125% mortgages and so on and so forth. So, what was happening was in Leeds, um, lots of people were buying up cheap terrace houses. Uh, and so, there was a lot of competition. So, uh, if you can picture it, now there's a lot of demand for rental properties and there's a lack of rental properties. In those days, there were so many people buying buy-to-let properties that there was a glut of rental properties. There was a lot of new build flats being built, and so one of my big concerns uh, when I was um, when I was sourcing these properties was not that I could not that I, not that it was difficult to find properties, but it was difficult to once they were f- refurbished to get them rented out because of so there was so much competition. Imagine if you've gone and asked somebody to trust you to spend you know their life savings on a property and it doesn't rent out so uh being that i'd been an estate agent letting agent i'd learned very early on that if you've got a well designed property it looks good Uh, it'll rent faster it'll sell faster so i always when i did a refurb i did a little bit more effort on the design and as a result these properties always broke the rental ceiling in the area and Found tenants really fast. Now I wasn't renting these properties out; I was passing them to letting agents. But because I did a good job on the design, these letting agents started passing clients to me that bought properties. So I was getting more and more refurbs to do. So my business actually built up on the fact that I was just getting a little, doing a little bit better. uh, I was a little bit better on design than everybody else, and it built built a reputation. Um, Then moving forward to my own investing, um, this goes. 2010 when the property market took a dive fortunately because i had this kind of reputation i it just seemed to come out the blue at the perfect time i got a huge contract from an asset management company to furnish a big block of flats so i made a really good profit from that and then i had this money to invest myself um so um It wasn't easy going through this property market crash. It was very stressful. I had gone from having lots of clients to suddenly having none. Then I got this big project. Um, I had uh, some money in the bank and I thought, okay, I'll invest in property. Um, And at the time, again, I don't know if you can remember this, but if you would have walked into a property investor network meeting, which I'd started doing, this was what was happening. You'd walk into the room and the guy at the front of the room was going, hands up, who wants to invest in property this year? Everybody in the room's putting their hands up. Then hands up, how many people want to invest in HMOs? Everybody in the room is putting their hand up. HMOs was the big thing, just like service accommodation is a big thing now. And just as the fact that you know, I've been in business, you look around a room full of investors and everybody's going, we're going to invest in that product and I'm going to also invest in that product. And I'd had the same situation back when I was sourcing. I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to invest in property, I've got this money. This was about 2013. I've got this money to invest, but I'm going to have a ton of competition moving forward. So I just knew that I could design my way out of that problem. So I just up my game on design, designed a really good, Uh, HMO model which I posted online I've made a good career out of helping people do the same thing but design has always got me out of trouble you know property is one thing but it's always got in property in the property business design has always got me out of problem trouble
1: what does that mean got you out of trouble
0: well there's competition so you know when I was like I say you know we can run parallels now to the service accommodation sector but imagine if everyone around you is investing in the same product how how do you make how do you make good money if you if that's happening um the only way to do it is to create a better product than everybody else or create a cheaper product than everybody else now with property we're all looking for roi we're all looking to maximize our investment and when it's your own money in my case it was my money i, I don't want to have bad customers. I want to achieve a good rent. And so I knew that if I was going to have a lot of competition moving forward, I had to think forward five, 10 years and think, okay, well, if in five years' time, rather than having five competitors, I'm going to have 40 competitors, my product needs to be really good in five years' time. I have to design a great product. So all I can tell you is is that in 10 years down the line now, 10 years down the line, when a lot of people say oh don't put in nice stuff don't do it well because your tenants are only going to trash it i did the opposite of what everyone was saying did a nice job really thought about the design 10 years later and a couple of i've still got a couple of my original tenants i've got tenants that have been with me 10 years if you walked into any of my houses they're clean tidy (laughs) a couple of them still look like show homes and And i don't (laughs) yeah they're hmos so i I, you know all of the problems that people seem to associate with HMOs, I've used design to avoid those issues.
1: Okay, so in in terms of avoiding issues, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. A lot of people, when they think of design, interior design, they think of nice colours and nice cushions, right? They don't think about it, uh, certainly at the beginning of the project, and they don't think about the longevity of the project with its buy to hold, how long they want to keep the property for, how long they want the uh, customers, tenants uh, to mm. stay for.
0: Mm.
1: How, so, do you, how do you bring design into um, into that aspect at the beginning? Okay,
0: so that's a very good question. What I would say to you is, is that most people think staging is design. So there's a bit there is a difference between property staging and interior and property design and i would say that you know there's a difference between the type of design that i do and the type of design that a typical interior designer would do because i'm an investor as well yes. uh, a lot of in my experience a lot of interior designers think you've got a blank checkbook and they'll say oh you know we should move that i was watching a program the other day and this designer's going okay move the window you know it's like anyway so in to answer your question there are when you're renting properties and this comes back to me being a property manager, a rentals manager. Um, And the big problem, the two big problems with renting property are bad tenants, which can make the whole situation very stressful. So bad customers, I'll call them bad customers, because if you're in business, anyone listening to the podcast, if you're in business, you do get bad customers and they make the whole thing a pain in the backside. And the other issue is, is that, and we were talking about this just before we went on air, is about wanting to own property for your, for legacy purposes. So, you know, what is, what was my why was I wanted to buy properties that not only gave me an income, but that would also, I'm, I've bought four houses. My vision or my, my long-term strategy is that in time, if I own them for 20 years, two of them can be sold to pay off the other two. Those other two then will be owned outright cash. They'll give me money for when I want to retire. And then I can also hand them to my children totally unencumbered and they're good properties. In my experience as a letting agent, however, most landlords' properties don't last more than about five to 10 years maximum. And then they have to get out this is a majority of landlords or they have very poor stock uh, which means they have bad tenants so this is the big problem with investing in property it's not a commodity it's not like buying gold this is something that hopefully will bring you in an income on a regular basis uh, and uh, it will be a legacy but unfortunately if you let the if you let the properties go if you let them become uh, um, you know, if they degrade over time, they lose value and you get a worse customer. So longevity is a big part of the design process, big part of the design thinking. Now, that's got nothing to do with cushions, nothing to do with feature walls and everything to do with thinking about the materials choices and, and working effectively with contractors. Because a lot of the time, a contractor can give you good advice if you're if you work well with the contractor and a part of the role of the designer in, in property is to manage the process as well, is to specify the project, is to have a vision for the project. So it's a very broad brush, really. If you say, you know, I'm a designer, it starts at the very beginning of the process if if you want it to last, that's what I'm saying. If you're a developer, my experience is, if you look at most developments is after 10 years, most new build developments have real problems. Problems with maintenance, problems with uh, the, the the. I was looking at a development the other day, and I know I'm rambling on, but we're talking about the design and longevity. Uh, I was looking at a, um, a uh, development in Bradford. I was doing a feasibility study, and this was an urban splash development called Lister Mills. If you Google, this is a lovely development. They won lots of awards, and urban splash are great, but they're developers. They'll do something up, and then they sell it. So once it's gone, they don't. you know, it's nothing to do with them anymore. If you look at the customer feedback of that development now after 10 years, you're getting complaints about problems with the, with the entry systems. You're getting complaints about the problems with the, the quality of tenants dropping, and they've got real issues. Another develop, mixed-use development, again, very nice development in Saltaire called um, uh, uh, Victoria Mills. Horrific problems with maintenance. Part of the development is unsaleable. Uh, a lot of the people are in negative equity because it wasn't built to last. So this okay. is a huge problem with property.
1: Well, so there's, a few, there's a few elements there, isn't there? So you've got uh, essentially what you're talking about is people coming in with uh, companies coming in with the intention to maximize the profit upfront flip it on, sell it, make a chunk of cash, go and do it somewhere else again and, mm. and repeat the process. Um, so that's a very different type of investor, property developer than somebody with, uh, you know, investing in HMO or service accommodation where the binds are hold for the long term, um, or the developing for a single let, for example. So mm. you, you know, there's a very different thought process to, you know, around even the difference between service accommodation where people are coming for a night, and a week, a month, maybe three months max, uh, that type of person doesn't need the s- storage capacity. They don't need the same type of living space as somebody who's living in HMO and they're essentially just living out of a bedroom for a lot of the time. Um, so well, that's part a of a designer's platform. role. Yeah, yeah, this is
0: part of a designer's role uh, is to is to do a feasibility study, is to look at the who, who you're aiming at and to design the product according to your customer?
1: Yes. Well, do you know what? I think most interior designers, most designers would struggle with just those three ideas because they've never uh, been an investor themselves. They've never, certainly never lived in a HMO for a lot of them. Um, So if the interior designer might struggle and you as a developer might struggle because you don't know where to start in design, um, how can people think, Better from the beginning. What can people do um, to make sure that they are future-proofing their projects?
0: Mm. Wow, such a good question. Such a good question because I've lived in HMOs and I help run serviced accommodation in as a side hustle. I don't do all the so most of my job. I would say is working as a designer. You know, I've like I say, I've lived in HMOs and quite recently lived in an HMO. Uh, Unfortunately, had a divorce. fortunately it wasn't a bad divorce but still I lived in one of my HMOs for about a year Uh, and the what I would say is is that it's very difficult to um, design a product if you've never used the product uh, if you've if if, if, and so um, or have no passion for customer service uh, it's very very difficult so it's a it's it's I would say it's a mindset big mindset issue and a big problem in in the industry because you know most people say well i don't want to be dealing with the client i want to get a letting agent to do it and a letting agent unfortunately again they've never most of them have never lived in an hmo most of them don't own serviced accommodation so again they don't have any idea but i would say probably you know i would say if you're doing serviced accommodation the best way to design it would probably be to first of all get your serviced accommodation finished and then live in it for a week because if you live in it for a week you're going to find oh i haven't put anywhere for my coat uh the bathroom doesn't have any robe hooks um this air, the bathroom's actually freezing cold um i don't have enough mugs uh, I've got no cupboard space for my stuff in the kitchen. The lighting's too bright. Um, you know, uh, the flooring's really cold. Uh, you know, all these things will become apparent if when you start using it. Um, so that's the first thing I'd probably recommend. The second thing is, you know, Google's a great search tool. So you could you could look for demographics. So, for example, you could Google, you know, what is the uh, what age group would typically rent an HMO in my area. I think there are websites where you can find demographics um, and do a bit of research on your customer and what their demands are, and certainly look at what the competition is doing um, and find out what these kind of customers might want by doing a bit of research you know what does a contractor want in a re- in in a in a short term let you could google that or chat GBT we were talking about is it chat GBT? <laughs> yeah. so you can use ai to do it nowadays so you go on to chat GBT and say what does the typical contractor look for in a in a in a short term rental property and bang ai will search everything on the internet and come up with a few answers for you so it's actually becoming a lot easier to do these feasibility studies and once you've got your demographics then you can go okay so I would actually probably recommend that you don't I've had a lot of I, I not say a lot but I do sometimes come across people that go okay so I want to be dealing with potentially I want to be Um, dealing with contractors but I may want to deal with uh, holiday makers and I may actually one day want to turn it into an HMO and then maybe or maybe I might want to turn it into a co-living co-working space I'm not sure so can we put all those things into the mix I'd say that's the wrong thing to do I would say maybe focus on maybe one of the demographics um, and try to work your hardest to put anything in there into your design that you think would help you appeal to that audience yeah. Um, you know staging does have a role in all of this if you're doing serviced accommodation and if you're doing HMOs you want to have nice pictures as well so there is staging a staging element um but i think demographics looking at you who your customer is especially in serviced accommodation i mean people are just assuming that they're going to you know they're going to be able to do up a service let put it on the market and they're going to get rented out or cuz their spreadsheet says i have to rent it out for 21 days to make a profit So the spreadsheet will say I've got to rent it out for 21 days. But, you know, if you've got more and more and more people entering the market space and the same amount of people in the area looking to rent, looking for serviced accommodation in the area, there's going to be a lot more competition. You're going to get a lot less weeks if you haven't done a lovely design and it's not staged properly. So, you know, design is really important. But yeah, demographics, looking at your customer, what their requirements are.
1: Well, let's say people they go to Google, they research, and they find that you know the uh, HMOs, for example, their target market is twenty-five to thirty-five, mm. and um, and these people, you know, they want storage, they want space, they want some comfort, they want uh, they don't need a TV in their room because they're watching Netflix on their laptop, for example. Mm. Can you give us, let's say, three ways that how how does that turn into the design aspect with the contractor when you're actually building the space out
0: okay so uh firstly i would say that with i'll go on my own experience first of all okay so i worked out that my main demographic was going to be people between the ages of about 25 to 40 um 25 to 35 and if you look at the kind of style that most 25 to 35 people like, it tends to be the mid-century modern type style, uh, IKEA types, you know, IKEA is very mid-century modern. This is the style that they all tend to prefer the most. Um, and so I, I looked at that style, first of all. Second thing is, is that I realized that, again, longevity is really important as well. So I had to look at materials. So in terms of working with contractors, the first thing you need to do is have a vision of, for what you're gonna be doing. So, rather than letting the contractor specify the project, which is the most horrific thing you could possibly do, this is not having a go at contractors. Okay. It's just a contractor is not a designer. A contractor, you tell a contractor what you want, and they do it. Um, they're not going to think, oh, they might want some nice lights. So. We'll put in some nice lights or, you know, um, they're going to want this bathroom to last 20 years. So I'm going to design it to last 20 years. That's not what the uh, contractor's going to do. They're going to assume, being that you're an investor, is that you want it done cheap. Uh, the other thing they're going to uh, probably assume is that tenants, every time I've spoken about to contractors about tenants, they say they're only tenants. Why are you making the effort?
1: They're going to so they, they, anyway. they, well,
0: they yeah this is the this is the, the the attitude of a contractor in fact when a contractor said that to me he I had a contractor turn around to me and he said just have to tell you this quick story because it's it was just amazing it just summed it all up he was walking around my house I'd love to have a rental property but I would never have a rental property near where I live I said why is that he goes well, i don't want to bump into any of my tenants in the pub I said well why is that he goes well you know if I had any problems I said well, what if you bumped into me in the pub he said, oh, that's different, you're my customer. And I said, well, my, the people moving into this house are my customers. Uh, so then he got it. Um, but I think what's important is if you, if, you to, if you were to Google, what are the traits of an effective boss? And I would recommend anybody who listens to this podcast who thinks they're gonna be buying a property and doing a refer, you are going to be a boss. So it's very simple, Google, what are the traits of an effective boss? And there are a few things that will come up. One of them will be honesty, so uh, uh, another one will be provide the correct materials another one is make working fun uh, and be supportive
1: there are lots of hats to that um, where when you're investing when you're starting out one of them is understanding the numbers in property understanding how property legislation works if you're going to manage yourself etc um, and it seems like it's later on down the journey that people realise they need a hat of how to design the property correctly, and then once they understand that, how to work with contractors so that they are, you know, achieving the right product the first time, rather than you know creating something and then having to go back retrospectively and, and change things. So um, when you are, when somebody is working with a contractor. How do they, um, can you give us like a couple of tips? Um, and I know one, for example, that you talk about looking at the floor plan, the layout, you know, from mm. the beginning and mapping out like the electrical floor plan, um, mm. where things are going to go in the room and making sure that it's a very livable space for mm. the customer.
0: Yeah. First of all, I want to just say, pick up on something you just said is that you've got to, the deal's got to stack up. Okay. The numbers have to stack up. The problem is, is the numbers won't stack up if you don't create a good product. The numbers aren't going to stack up if your product only lasts five years. You can't just assume that the numbers are going to work by if you don't know anything about the product you're creating. That's just spreadsheet stuff. This is the issue. Um, As you, you know, you came to me looking for some help on your own HMOs because you needed to up your game on the design because the numbers weren't stacking up as much as they could be so the first thing i would say is that if you if you're working out the numbers the numbers won't stack up if you don't create a good product if it only lasts you 5 years and you've got to do a refurb again then those numbers won't aren't real they're not real numbers so that i have to say that the, the, then now we're talking about the practical side of things and i tend to i always refer back to these 10 principles of good design that were created. They weren't created, but they were discovered and penned by a guy called Dieter Rams, who's one of probably the most influential consumer product designers that's ever lived. In fact, he uh, inspired a lot of Apple products and IKEA certainly copy a lot of his designs as well. So he's probably the most influential product designer that's ever lived, and he created these ten principles. and And one of the main ones that I tend to find is most relevant to certainly HMOs is is good design has to perform its function. Good design is useful design. So when you look at a a product, you have to think, okay, how's this product supposed to function? So if we take a, a bedroom, for example, now an HMO bedroom has to function very differently to a serviced accommodation bedroom. Serviced accommodation bedroom has to be very easy to clean and turn around. That's one of the design priorities for a serviced accommodation bedroom. So you design it in that way. With an HMO bedroom, in the main, you're dealing with somebody that is probably going to spend most of their free time when they're not outside in that bedroom which means that it has to serve many functions so one of them is it should be comfortable it should be comfortable Uh, another one is um, uh, okay so we're now talking about layout drawing so when we talk about comfort comfort is not only a comfortable bed but i don't know about you but i don't like to have one light fitting in the middle of the room bright lights and a lot of contractors love to put in inset spots all over the place you know if I was going to bed and I wanted to just watch a movie or just read a book I don't want to have a ton of uh, inset spotlights beaming down on me I'd like to have some ambient lighting Um, and so lighting is a very big part of the design another thing is you know it's very easy to just create an average product but i like to think about okay how can i make this product better um so that someone's going to stay in it long term so i think about things very little tiny details but design is all about the detail so things like positioning of plug sockets and you know really quite funky lighting to make it more attractive these have to be put in on the drawings at the earlier stages because again the worst thing in the world for a contractor is for a client to walk in and go, oh, I totally forgot. I, I actually, I want some plug sockets there, there, and there, and there. And they, the, con- the problem for the contractor is, is that it's not easy to get an electrician to come back to a job, and sometimes it might hold everything up. And holding things up costs them money. Uh, and so for me, a very big part of the design and certainly a major part of the thinking is done when you look at a layout drawing. I do an exercise with my uh, students where we look at a kitchen design done by a company called HMO, I can't remember the name of the company, but something like HMO Experts, okay? And their kitchen design featured a fridge in front of the window and about that much counter space to actually do your, you know, prepare food. And it was a four bed HMO. And there was one storage cupboard for four people in this kitchen. Um, and when I spoke to the client, I pointed out and she said, "Well." it won't work, the numbers won't work if we can't, I, if I have to turn a bedroom into a living room, the numbers won't work. So this kitchen has to perform uh, uh, the function of a living room and a kitchen, but it was it was very small. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time redesigning that kitchen on the drawings to make it as functional as I could, to put as, enough, uh, as much storage in it as I could, and to create a space where the tenants could relax, watch TV, not there wasn't enough room for a sofa, but certainly there was enough room for them to relax and we can make it look nice. But this is, again, a problem that I come up with quite a lot from people that really probably have never lived in an HMO. They're just looking at the numbers and they're going, OK, I, I've got to get I've got to put a bedroom there. So the, the kitchen's going to be. But imagine a kitchen with maybe six people in a six bed HMO and you've got this tiny little sofa space and you've got a big rubbish bin. You've got a recycle bin and you don't have enough storage space. You don't have enough worktop space. And this is the communal space for all your tenants. How long is it going to last before the whole place turns into a total mess? And then you have a higher turnover of tenants. So this can only be really dealt with right at the beginning when you're looking at the layout drawings and architects won't do it. And, you know, certainly uh, project manage- managers won't do it. Sourcing agents won't do it. The only person that can do it is really the person that's really thinking about the customer and thinking about the lo- the longevity of the product.
1: Yeah. Do you see examples of your students, people who've gone through your training? They've, uh, you know, not just made the place look better, but they've made it more functional. Um, what benefits have they seen?
0: So I'll give you an example, the property doctors or um, City One development, City One, who I've worked with. Um, um, oh, a couple of names elude me, but these people have won awards for best prop, best HMO. Um, they're doing, they're actually doing training and getting cred, a lot of credibility from what they've done. You're seeing a lot of my trainees' properties and they're being featured in YPN Magazine. Yeah. So, in, So the only thing that I can, the only kind of main results that I see over a period of time are are the professional uh, uh, um, professional uh, uh, property, let's call them property people because I wouldn't call them investors because it's a business. It's not on, It's not if it was investing. You wouldn't. They wouldn't be on Facebook. If yeah. it was investing, <laughs> they'd be in the Bahamas. So these are property business people. It's They've the got property as, businesses. Yeah.
1: Okay, so and so
0: how, what's again, what's that worth? You know, if you've got a product that has allowed you to raise your profile that's given you great credibility, what price do you put on that? You well, know
1: there are there are many benefits to having done things right the first time. As you mm. said there, you can you not only got that credibility, but when you're going to investors, landlords, or agents, uh, you can feel proud of the not just the product but the home that you're providing for your customers um well
0: uh, that's the that's the alt. see this is the thing is that if you are doing if you're if you're mentoring people if you're winning awards for best product and it's giving you credibility then you've got another stream of income so that's and i'm not, it's not all down to design design is a factor but it does give you great credibility um so that's one side of it but on the other side of it is a landlord side of it is peace of mind um, having good customers means that your business is, beca- business is a pleasure to do. If you've got bad customers, your business, and in fact, who is it? Uh, I've forgotten his name. Um, um, he did a, he's a marketing guy. Uh, I've forgotten his name, but he talks about elf business and half businesses. Uh, uh, half business is hard, annoying, uh, labor intensive, and frustrating. And elf is Easy, lucrative, and fun. Okay, so I would say that a well designed product, and I'm not talking about again, I'm not talking about just nice cushions and staging, I'm talking about something that's going to keep your customers happy for a long period of time, keep people loyal, it means that you have an easy, lucrative, and fun business, which also means that your return on your inv- return again, return on investment. Again, if you only have to spend, let's say, you know, four weeks in a year managing your portfolio. Or the other side of the coin, every week you've got a problem to deal with and it's taking your time, then you could be making a higher ROI. But if your time is taken up dealing with aggravation all the time, then I'd rather have a slightly lower income, but only have to spend a week uh, every three months dealing with my happy, nice customers. So, again, design is not just, you know, what you see, it's how easy it is to run, how fun it is to deal with your customers, uh, how, you know, all of these things together. So I would say that, um, you know, you can't quantify all of this stuff. Uh, The way I quantify it is peace of mind. The way I quantify it is minimal amount of maintenance. The way I quantify it is actually enjoying Dealing with my customers rather than every time they call thinking oh, I've got a problem, you know all of these things are part of the benefits. So there's
1: lots of intangible benefits like peace of mind, um, having the longevity, and having great customers, having that um, you know feeling of being proud of your property, etc. Um, but let's say a typical consultation with yourself, mm. a couple hundred pounds, um, you help somebody design their uh, redesign their property either mm. from scratch. Or an existing property, mm. not only are they able to then uh, increase their rents, then mm. potentially the valuation of the property goes up as well. Mm. Um, so, h- how do you see that initial investment of you know that that consultation plus? Let's say they've got to go out and actually buy extra things that they wouldn't have normally bought. Mm.
0: Um, okay, let's look at what's in YPN magazine this month because I'm featured in it. So I can blow my own trumpet, but let's look at Shimon's project, okay? Uh, This is on a bigger scale, but it happens on a smaller scale, okay? To me, and I've dealt with investors where they've gone, I've got an existing portfolio. uh, Should I take money out and buy something new? or should i reinvest in my existing portfolio make it better and attract better customers when i've dealt with people who have reinvested in their existing portfolio and upgraded it up specified it they found that it's it's a much higher return on investment than if they would have t- spent the money on a new property and left their other projects to Get older and older and older. So I would say, first of all, the evidence that I've got back from existing landlords is when they've reinvested in their existing portfolio and improved their customers, the money they spent on doing the upgrade was had a higher return than if they'd have spent the money buying a new another property. Right. Okay. So that's the first thing. Let's look at Simon. He was it's a commercial to residential pro- project where it was. Turning an old nightclub into 16 serviced accommodation holiday apartments. The Rick's surveyor, and I had a, in fact, I had another conversation with the developer today, but Rick's surveyor originally valued it at 1.2 million before it was completed. That was their estimated valuation. And so uh, Shimon came to me. Because he knows I've d- done design work. And he said, Julian, I want you to make them really attractive, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let's go all the way to when it was finished. The RICS valuation came in and it was valued at 1.53 million. Wow. So that was, uh, it was around about 320 odd thousand pounds uh, gross. In, increase after stamp duty fees, agents' fees, it was an increase of 250,000 pounds, wow. which was a, an increase of 12,000 pounds per unit. Wow, and th- it didn't cost anywhere near that in spend, yeah, to increase that valuation. I would say it probably cost an extra maximum. £2,000 maximum. That's on labor and materials because there was some, you know, nicer light switches, better paint scheme. Things were laid out correctly. He had to pay me. uh, And so I would say that he made £10,000 profit on a £2,000 spend. So what's that ROI? That's what, how many hundreds of percent is that? So I would say that the money that you spend on design, if you do it right, has got is probably the highest ROI on any any of the money because you're going to spend an amount on the property anyway. And so we're talking about a small bit extra to increase its curb appeal. That little bit extra that you spend has the highest ROI of all of the money that you're going to spend because it gets you a higher valuation, higher rent, better customers, longer tenancies, uh, uh, better reputation, all of these things. So that money is the best roi you can spend and if i we talk about let's just talk about color okay the correct use of color increases brand recognition by about 90% the correct use of color makes a product more attractive to the consumer if it's advertised online it makes it 80 something like 85% more attractive if you use color properly so again using color is probably you know spending money on dis- a little bit on design gives you a great ROI and if you took if you if you started getting good with color and started using visual merchandising and and adding a little bit of color into the mix the money that you extra money you spend on paint to make it colorful and a few bit of ex- colorful accessories again the, the the ROI on that it's probably thousands of percent
1: Yeah, especially if you take it over the long term. And we had a consultation uh, last year now and I came to you and I had a HMO, uh, still got it. It's a seven bed HMO and we, you know, the rooms are fantastic sizes. um, It's our best property by far in terms of uh, the layout, the rooms, um, the location, etc. So we've never had any difficulty filling it uh, at the rents that we want, which have always been top of the market. Um, And what we noticed recently was that um, that they just weren't going as quickly. So once people moved out, um, you know, we could achieve those rents, but it would mean, let's say, six, seven or eight viewings to get the right person to get um, who, you know, who would pay that amount. And after our consultation, we spent, I would say, probably about 400 pounds. On decorating the room, making sure that the it you know it looked the part um and now we've been able to increase the the rent on the room by a hundred pounds
0: so is what's this, the roi on that then if you well, take that over exactly. a period of time it's phenomenal yeah. um, this is this is this is my point and it's 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 not your it's not your skill at negotiating a deal no it it's the design, which is why I, I always believe that Design is an integral part of the success of of but of getting into property. I I'm, I really am reluctant to call it investing in property because that suggests that you're just buying something and leaving it, whereas actually, uh, and we were again talking about this is that I've I I would say I'm a I'm in business. I, I'm i my, my life most of my life I've been working for myself and I've had customers and I have the same philosophy with my property business as I do with my design business I have customers if I do a good job they'll come back they'll stay they'll be loyal so it's the same same thing but if we're talking about profits uh my own my own experience with this is that my properties have been built to last so I'm not really the most trendy designer out there but because I, I I kind of look at you know how has this got to be done
1: how not, is it got to be done? Go and Well, give us, well give us okay. The well, look. What? Okay.
0: Okay. The dis- there are two priorities when you're dealing with. Uh, let's, let's take HMOs. Okay. Now, there are people out there that are saying it has to be a boutique hotel standard. Okay. <laughs> which, to me, if you look at the demographics, they're not. You know, if, if let's take the Pulitzer Hotel in Amsterdam, which is a prize winning boutique hotel. And there are some HMOs out there that I would say you look at them and it's done to that standard, okay? So who are the typical guests that stay at the Pulitzer Hotel? Are you trying to appeal to them? No, that's not the customer. I would say it's a it's a vanity project in a lot of cases. In reality, there are two big priorities when you're dealing with HMOs. One is you've got to appeal to the right customer, which I would say 25 to 35, they're looking for they're looking for value. They're not looking to spend a fortune now. Okay, they're also, um, it, it, so it has to it has to do everything that these customers want. The other side of the coin, it's got to last decades.
1: What do you do so, differently to so, make the product last?
0: Okay, what do I do differently? I put in fitted furniture, okay. built-in furniture. So I design the furniture and it's all built in. And it's made of, I've got my my brochures up here. It's made of very, very solid materials. You can climb on it. The, even the choice of, materials not just the strength of them but the 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 colors or the type of materials are chosen to last so i'll give you an example very quick one the ikea malm chest of drawers how long have ikea been making the malm chest of drawers for and what's the color range that they've been making for the longest
1: i've only ever seen them in white
0: <laughs> well, okay white okay that's one in clever one because i've used white but oak and white Oak and white. So I've used a very similar kind of, uh, my my fitted furniture is designed very similar to Ikea's designs because Ikea products appeal to millennials. Millennials are my main customers. Also, I've looked at their ranges that seem to be the most durable and long lasting. So if they made a piece of furniture that was actually designed in the 1950s and they're still making it today, and they'll still be making it in 50 years time then I'm going to be I'm going to be following that kind of style I'm going to be looking at those kind of materials uh, etc so that my furniture is bomb proof Um, paints I specify durable paints I don't start putting paneling on walls that's I'm going to have to replace in 10 years time because it's not fashionable anymore Uh, I don't uh, so I keep the design fairly simple that's the thing I do. When I'm, I don't put in en-suites. Now, a lot of people talk about, you know, it's got to have an en-suite for it to r- get a higher price. I've done the numbers so many times, okay? If you've got a six-bed HMO, which is all en-suites, you're probably going to have to start replacing or maintaining those en-suites. After about 10 years, you are going to have a massive maintenance bill, whereas I would probably have two bathrooms between three sorry between six that's one bathroom between three so i would have a, a, my build cost would be lower i'd spend the money on more durable materials but an ensuite doesn't actually make any more profit than a shared bathroom over a 10-year period right
1: because you've got the maintenance
0: because you've got the maintenance and the initial cost also an ensuite bathroom will probably only look really good for about three years before mold starts appearing, because you can't actually maintain an ensuite bathroom in an HMO, yeah. you can't. So it's gonna degrade. Once it starts degrading, then it loses its value. The other thing that happens is if you spent all your money on en suites, then you can't actually spend the money on the really important stuff like comfort, storage, good quality carpets, good quality blinds, good quality paints. So everything starts to degrade faster. So I try, I would say the biggest advice I can give in terms of design with HMOs is keep the design simple. Don't overcomplicate the design. And if you think that en suites are the way to go, I would do the numbers really carefully because at the moment I'm getting a higher price for my non-en suite double rooms than my competitors are for their en suite rooms because their en suite rooms that they did four years ago are looking like crap and the kitchens aren't big enough because Mm -hmm. they did the numbers on their spreadsheet and they you know, and they don't have enough storage, so the tenants aren't staying. I, I get a lot of tenants who say, I was living in an eight bed, but it I, I there was a bad tenant in there, or it just didn't feel homely, or I just had a problem with another tenant, or it was looking, it was the gardens were looking crap, or the maintenance wasn't being looked after, so, you know. Keep the design as simple as possible you're not you don't have to create a boutique hotel in that market you're not appealing to that kind of customer demographic and you have to think about longevity in the design yeah. so that's the advice i would give i mean it's you asked me huge questions but what <laughs> i did was i tried to make it look as good as possible i used durable materials i looked at my customer demographic and dis, and 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 said look there's an appropriate level of spend and and what I can save on not having to make it look like a boutique and I can use more durable materials, then that's what I'm going to do.
1: Great. Mm. (laughs) Well, lots and lots of tips there for people Mm. listening, uh, I'm sure. So um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, Mm. Before we go, I know that you are uh, about to launch a new training programme alongside YPN as well. Mm. So um, do you want to just tell us a bit more about that, how it can benefit people who don't know where to start, people who, um, you know, have the right intentions. They want to do this well, but they don't have a contractor who understands design and they don't have an interior designer who's got an, an investor hat on um, who or who has dealt with in HMOs or service accommodation mm-hmm. before. So um, how can this, your training help people?
0: The only thing I can do is tell you my why. OK, on this one is that um, I started doing I, I I spend most of my time working for clients doing design work. So this is not my main business. It's it's something that I do as a passion project, first of all, and actually working with YPN now has taken it a little bit further than being a passion project. But the reason why I started doing it was because and we were talking about this earlier and I'm not criticizing property gurus, but I. Because I've had quite a lot of experience, I was seeing people selling courses that didn't include looking at design, looking at project management. And to me, it's, it is if you have that missing, you, it's, you can't make a success of property. It's not going to work. And I just felt that somebody has to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so you asked me to look at you know what are the benefits and I've got a, a very long track record of people who, number one, have gone on to be very successful in property or number two, have come back to me and said, I've broken the rental ceiling. I'm doing really well at this. I'm doing service accommodation and while all my customers are struggling to rent weeks out. I've, I'm getting bookings way in advance from all over the world. So I've got a, I've got a, 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 a whole load of testimonials from customers saying, you know, this has been the best training I've ever done because I, I can create a great product. So my, I can just tell you is that my why for doing this is because I believe that if you don't understand number one how to deal with contractors, you're going to go over budget. That can ruin the whole thing because if you've gone over budget, you're going to compromise. And if you compromise on your product, you are going to lose value, quite a lot of value. And long term, bad customers, higher churn rates. So that's just dealing with contractors. And then on the design side, if you're doing your numbers, and especially today, because, you know, look, property is now, I think, regressing back to probably what it was a few years back where, you know, this is a, a, probably the safest place to invest money you know stock market no crypto no you know if you're getting into property long term and you've got some money to invest and you want to secure it into property then if you design it right from the start you understand how you're working with contractors you build good relationships with people you have good customers then you will achieve what you want to achieve um so that was my why I do think it's you know there's obviously it's You've got to understand how to do the numbers. Obviously, you've got to understand how to deal with agents. Obviously, you've got to, if you're wanting to raise finance, how to do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But without this element, it's not going to produce the numbers that are on your spreadsheet. So, this is why I'm doing it, is because it makes it an elf business, not a half business.
1: Well, and one that's, why, of and the that's elf why I'm doing it.
0: Elf, easy, lucrative, and fun.
1: Great.
0: Half is hard annoying labor intensive and frustrating Mm -hmm. so without the design that's what it is and i guarantee if you go onto facebook and you hear all the landlords complaining about bad tenants evictions problems if you look at their product it's a rubbish product all those people that are saying oh we haven't got any problems we're upping our rents you know we're able to get good customers we've got we're now doing webinar training with people we've got a great reputation I guarantee you it's because they have a good product
1: yeah. makes a lot of sense
0: mm.
1: and uh, you know obviously at YPM we're really pleased to be working with you because we also see that gap in the market so many people who just they um you know they've invested and then a couple of years later you know they're stuck in this place where they can't go back and change the product Um, they don't know how to move forward and nobody else is really talking about design from this aspect of you know work uh, from the beginning setting out what your um you know intentions are for the customer to have a great living space a great staying space And, you know, starting with the end in mind, basically. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Really exciting project. Uh, We will be putting the links in the show notes uh, for anyone who wants to find out more about the training. And I know that we have limited spaces. Uh, I think we're taking on 30 uh, 30 per quarter. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm crapping myself because it's only me. And (laughs) I and I and when I work with people, I do tend to take things very personally. So uh, I want to provide an excellent training experience so yeah there can only be a limited number of people because i'm yeah it's only me and i've got other jobs to do so um yeah but it's i'll tell you it's an absolute honor to be doing this and it's it's really my was my goal is to really get this to be quite a mainstream thing because especially in property training because i do think it's missing you know i do think it's missing so it'll be great to to have people on board
1: absolutely really exciting well and uh, that's it for now so we really look forward to seeing you all next time on the podcast and julian thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it lots of golden nuggets there lots of great advice for people thank so you. look forward My to pleasure.
0: seeing
1: you next. thank you and for anyone who is not yet subscribed to the magazine please click the link in the show notes for your free 30 day trial